0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are, or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Anika, Carrie, and Pia. And a special shout out to our patron, Alyssa, who upgraded their pledge. If you want to be like them and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, and mini bonus episodes, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 19 and 20 of Emma.
1: Should we just go right into it? I'm excited to talk about these chapters. Yeah, I think we should just go right into it. Well, this is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically
0: to talk about the first two chapters of Volume the second of Emma! Emma!
1: Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels before.
0: And I, Molly, am reading Jane Austen for the first time
1: via this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, then go listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are
0: talking about Emma. We are talking about the first two chapters of Volume the Second, which are chapters 19 and 20, if your book is not split up into volumes. And
1: here we can call these chapters the introduction, the true introduction of Jane Fairfax.
0: Yes, Miss Jane Fairfax hath arrived.
1: I have so many (laughs) questions about her. Yes, I'm so excited. Fresh blood in the book. It's time. We're in the second volume. Just to refresh our listeners on last time we talked about this book, Mr. Elton, humiliated after being rejected by Emma goes away and uh harriet is heartbroken over mr elton and decides to blame herself for not being good enough for him and we find out that uh frank churchill is not indeed coming to highbury and mr knightley has a nice little like rant sesh about it to emma who's kind of like chill your beans man (laughs) chill your beans no, well, I was going to say calm your tits, but I was like, I don't know. <laughs> chill your beans is
0: perfect. But I am picturing like a can of beans in the freezer or like actually, no, not in the freezer, but in a bucket of ice, like how champagne is when it's fancy and served to you at a restaurant. But it's just a can of beans. That honestly
1: sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds awful. But when you said chill your beans, that's what I pictured. Well... That's what Emma said to Mr. Knightley when he wouldn't stop shitting on Frank Churchill. That's exactly what she said. So that leads us
0: into these chapters. So should we just get into it? Yes, because they're verbose because certain characters won't shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah, that is a way to put it. Sure. So at the beginning of chapter one of Volume the Second... Emma and Harriet are walking one day and Harriet keeps bringing up Mr. Elton. So Emma decides, you know what, let's go to the Bateses. Someone else needs to talk for a while.
1: I love this part because it's not in your notes, but at the very beginning of the chapter, Emma and Harriet are walking and Emma's trying to take her mind off it. And she's like, oh, yeah, we should do some good stuff for the poor. And Harriet's like, Elton's so good to the poor, which is great for two reasons. Number one. No, he's not. The amount of times he ditched the poor to try to hit on Emma is notable for someone who's a clergyman. So true. Second of all, it's like really relatable when you're like dealing with a friend going through a breakup and they will not stop talking about their ex. And you're just like, okay, anything else, please?
0: Literally anything else, because at this point, like she is about to go into the lion's den. She hates
1: this person that she's about to go into their house. Kind of. I mean, it's more like she avoids this person because the Bates is she knows she should visit them and that they're good people, but they're like impossible to be around.
0: Yeah, at first. So I remember early on, I was like, oh, my God, I love Miss Bates. And I really was team Miss Bates. After this chapter, I'm like, "Okay, I understand why she would choose not to be around Miss
1: Bates. When I think about Miss Bates and Mrs. Bates, what I think about very specifically is that episode of SpongeBob where they're selling chocolate bars. Mm-hmm. And it's the old lady and her fish grandma. Oh, my God. Like her fish mom. Chocolates. I remember when they first invented chocolate. <laughs> I always hated it.
0: <laughs> Emma knows that she is considered, quote, by the very few who presumed ever to see imperfection in her as not giving enough to the Bateses. And this is true because she doesn't really, one, like we said, like being around them, and two, want to risk falling in with their crowd, like their lower class friends. So that's why she never goes there. Yes. She thinks that they're safe from hearing about a letter from Jane Fairfax today. I wanted to know why she thinks that because if it's because she knows Jane's writing schedule, then she's a little obsessed with her.
1: <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Yeah. I mean, you could read these chapters as Emma being just a little Lizzie to Darcy, but it's Emma to Jane. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the answer to this is that the Bates as we've noted, are very verbose about Jane Fairfax. And they always tell people. When she writes and she writes on a very regular schedule to her aunt and her grandmother. So everyone knows Jane Fairfax writes like once a week or something. Mm -hmm. And Emma's like, all right, I had to get my ear chewed off about this recently. So I think we're safe from another Jane Fairfax letter at this moment. Mm hmm. Oh, she thought. (laughs) Unluckily for her, Jane Fairfax was like, ooh, I'm going to be random and write to my aunt.
0: (laughs) How random of me. (laughs) Um, So she goes in. They live in an apartment building. They have the drawing room floor. And the Bateses welcome them in. Mrs. Bates, who is a neat old lady, offers her her chair. And Miss Bates is just about ready to overpower them with kindness. She's like, oh my gosh,
1: how's Mr. Woodhouse? Do you want some cake? I want to stop here for just a second because this description of their apartment, I would note that it is a very different description of a space than pretty much any other space we've seen so far in Jane Austen.
0: Mrs. and Miss Bates occupied the drawing room floor, and there, in the very moderate-sized apartment, which was everything to them, the visitors were most cordially and even gratefully welcomed. The quiet, neat old lady, who with her knitting was seated in the warmest corner, wanting even to give up her place to Miss Woodhouse, and her more active, talking daughter, almost ready to overpower them with care and kindness, thanks for their visit, solicitude for their shoes, anxious inquiries after Mr. Woodhouse's health, cheerful communications about her mother's, and sweet cake from the buffet, which is a buffet, like a counter, quote, Mrs. Cole had just been there, had just called for 10 minutes and had been so good as to sit an hour with them. And she had taken a piece of cake and been so kind as to say she liked it very much. And therefore, she hoped Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith would do them the favor to eat a piece too.
1: Okay, so this parlor room Mm -hmm. that they have, this floor of this little building because this isn't like a penthouse suite, Mm-mm. it's like this tiny little apartment in a small place that is their entire living situation. Mm-hmm. Very different than uh, a Hartfield or a Pemberley, obviously, but but even different than like a Barton Cottage.
0: Yeah, and there's like the warmest corner, like they're
1: conserving heat. She's sitting in the one corner that she can get warm in. Yes. And uh, I think the implication is that it is a small, basically close to one bedroom apartment, like above a shop almost. Mm -hmm. So they really don't have a lot of space. This is a very much a step down from what Emma's used to in her home. And her home would more closely resemble like a Rosings or something of that nature, like a grand manor. And it should be noted that the Bateses love having company into their small home. They do. And again, this goes to what I say, what I said, like at the very beginning of the podcast about people loving the Bates's and being kind to them, but pitying their circumstances in a way that's very public and very embarrassing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when she mentions Mrs. Cole, I wrote in my margins, isn't that Mr. Elton's friend's wife? And I was so proud of myself when the next sentence was. If they were mentioning Mrs. Cole, then Mr. Elton was sure to follow. And lo and behold, the next thing that happens is they bring up Mr. Elton. And Emma carries the conversation so that Harriet doesn't have to get involved. She was expecting this going into it. What she was not expecting was that the topic of Mr. Elton was going to be immediately followed by the topic of Jane Fairfax and a letter that she has just written.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: (laughs) She's like, oh, no. So Mrs. Bates is like, oh, yes, yes. Mr. Elton, he's in Bath and there was the ball in Bath and uh, he's a great favorite.
1: Speaking of that, Jane Fairfax. Speaking of that,
0: my niece was in Bath and she says that whenever Mrs. Cole comes to visit, she always asks about Jane and this time she came and she had assumed there was no letter, much like Emma had assumed there was going to be no letter. But in fact, Jane had written a letter and Emma is like, oh, I hope she's well. And Miss Bates is like, Oh, you want to hear the letter? And Emma's like, ah, "Let me look at it." Yeah, and so she's like looking for the letter, and it's under her huswife, which has come up before, and I think it's a kind of embroidery thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's related to like sewing.
0: Yeah, and she was like, "I knew it must have been right here because I had just shown it to Miss Cole this morning, and
1: like I've been reading it so many times." Ugh. It's hard to capture as we're like recapping how Jane Austen writes Mrs. Bates, which is like paragraphs, like pages long without like proper punctuation.
0: Yeah, I I feel like there was no way for me to get the tone in which she speaks and the way in which she is just so, like you said, verbose. There was no way to write that down without just reading it out loud.
1: So do you want to try your luck at a Miss Bates monologue? right now? Oh,
0: I would love to
1: give it a shot.
0: God, there's so many. It's it's these chapters were not short, but my notes were short because I was like, and then she gives a speech about how much she loves her niece.
1: I know they they genuinely took me a longer time to read than usual because I was just like, all right. And like the, the magic of Jane Austen's writing here, is that the listener starts to glaze over as Miss Bates starts talking. Exactly. So here's
0: one very long paragraph that's exactly the, the point that we're talking about right now. So Emma says, have you heard from Miss Fairfax so lately? I am extremely happy. I hope she is well. And and here we go. Thank you. You are so kind, replied the happily deceived aunt while eagerly hunting for the letter. Oh, here it is. I was sure it could not be far off, but I had put my housewife upon it, you see, without being aware, and so it was quite hid. But I had it in my hand so very lately that I was almost sure it must be on the table. I was reading it to Mrs. Cole, and since she went away, I was reading it again to my mother, for it is such a pleasure to her, a letter from Jane, that she can never hear it often enough. So I knew I could not be far off, and so here it is, just only under my housewife. And since you are so kind as to wish to hear what she says, but first of all, I really must in justice to Jane apologize for her writing so short a letter, only two pages, you see. Hardly two. And in general, she fills the whole paper and crosses half. My mother often wonders that I can make it out so well. She often says when the letter is first opened, Well, Hetty, now I think you will be put to to make out all that checker work. Don't you, ma'am? And then I... And then I tell her, I am sure she would contrive to make it out herself if she had nobody to do it for her. Every word of it, I am sure she would pore over it till she had made out every word. And indeed, though my mother's eyes are not so good as they were, she can see amazingly well still. Thank God, with the help of spectacles. It is such a blessing. My mother's are really very good indeed. Jane often says when she is here, I am sure, grandmama, you must have had very strong eyes to see as you do. And so much fine work as you have done too. I only wish my eyes may last me as well. How did we start talking about her eyesight?
1: I didn't follow any of that, like not not a word of it, except one thing Uh, you noted in your notes. You were like, why does Jane cross out half her letters? I was wondering that. I saw a TikTok about this recently. She doesn't cross out half her letters. She basically like it's like a technique from back in the day to save space on a page where you'd like write basically over your other writing to write more.
0: Oh, that makes sense then why she was saying usually she fills up the whole page and crosses half.
1: Yeah, that means she's like writing a page and a half per page. Whoa. Yeah. Jane Fairfax is so talented. She's so talented. She writes so well.
0: And her grandma has excellent eyesight. (laughs) After she takes a pause to breathe, Emma's like, oh, well, Jane has excellent handwriting. And Miss Bates is like, that is the highest compliment in the world coming
1: from Emma Woodhouse, queen of handwriting. And then she's like, guess what, mom? Emma said Jane has good handwriting. And her mom's like, what? <laughs> and she goes, good handwriting. What? <laughs> good handwriting. And Emma's just sitting there hearing like the, the handwriting thing go back and forth and back and forth for a while. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why did I even open my
0: big dumb mouth? (laughs) (laughs) And um, Miss Bates then is like, you know, sometimes my mom can hear Jane better than she can hear me, which to me sounds like selective hearing. But to Miss Bates, she says, Jane speaks so clearly. (laughs)
1: My grandma's a little deaf and she can never hear a single word I say because I mumble. Mm -hmm. But then like I started training in Shakespeare. So when I would go see her, I would just be like, Nanina, hello. It is so nice to see you. And I would go like full enunciation on every word and suddenly she could hear me. (laughs) See, my
0: reference point is my dog who my mom can't like get to hear her if she's like calling her to go out. She's like, Amy, Amy. But when you open a treat box or something or you're like crinkling a bag of potato chips, she comes running. It's probably got to do with the frequencies. Oh, I was gonna say it has to do with the sass. Well yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking. But so now we learn that it has been two years since Jane has been to Highbury. And in my notes at this point I wrote I bet Miss Fairfax and Elton are banging. I don't know why I wrote that at that point, but I just had this thought. Actually, this begins a trend in this in this chapter of me thinking that Jane Fairfax is hooking up with all of the
1: men. So, well, to be fair, one of the definitive canon things we learn in this chapter is that Jane Fairfax is hot. 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 So, it's not too far
0: off to think like she could have her pick of the men. Now my question is, is she having
1: her pick of the men? We are going to talk about that and study questions. can't wait. I will say um, just again for the for the peanut gallery once again, Jane Austen has named a character Jane, who is perfect and hot and who is wonderful, gorgeous and accomplished and everyone loves yeah
0: once again. so Jane's in bath. And so is Mr. Elton. So that's all I have to go on there, but that's why I think that they are hooking up. So we've learned that it's been two years since she's been back and that she is coming. And Emma's like, oh, she's she's coming soon. And they're like, Yeah, she's coming next week. Emma's like, that's gonna be nice. And Mrs. Bates is like, that is the nicest thing you could have ever said. Thank you so much. And oh, and she says that everyone's been saying the same obliging things. And I was like, What's so obliging about saying that'll be nice to have your niece with you, <laughs> but she thinks it's the kindest thing someone could say. We learn that she's coming on Friday or Saturday, and that's the whole reason they got a letter from her is because she's coming to visit. Otherwise, this isn't a time that she normally writes. Emma says, yes, so I imagined. I was afraid there could be a little chance of my hearing anything of Miss Fairfax today. So afraid. Thank God I'm hearing about her now. (laughs) I'm so happy to be hearing about Jane Fairfax. Miss Bates tells them that Jane is going to stay with them for three months while the Campbells go to Ireland to visit Mrs. Dixon. Mrs. Dixon is Miss Campbell, who was Jane's friend slash sister growing up with the Campbells, and she got married to a Mr. Dixon in October.
1: Yes, that's correct
0: just to clear that up. So Mrs. Dixon has written to her parents, begging them to come to Ireland, saying that Ballycrag, Ballycrag, is the most beautiful place. And Miss Bates says, quote, Jane has heard a great deal of its beauty from Mr. Dixon, I mean. Now I think at this point, I'm like, hmm, how does she know Mr. Dixon? We learn that the Campbells often would send Jane on dates With Mr. Dixon and Miss Campbell as like a third party, a chaperone, if you will. Yes. You haven't watched The League of Their Own yet, right? Not the TV show. I've obviously showed you the movie. (laughs) Becca showed me the movie. The TV show, There is. this isn't a spoiler, but there is a scene where a man has asked out one of the baseball players, and because they are young ladies, they have to have a chaperone come with them. And so another, actually two other players have to go. So they're just like quadruple
1: wheeling the date. And it's hilarious. Yes. I was thinking, Bridgerton, how they all freak out if a young lady is unchaperoned. Yes. Same, same thing, basically,
0: but just like a hundred years apart. Yes. <laughs> so we learned that Jane really wanted to go to Ireland. And I wanted to read what Emma thinks about that. At this moment... An ingenious and animating suspicion entering Emma's brain with regard to Jane Fairfax, this charming Mr. Dixon, and the not going to Ireland, she said with the insidious design of further discovery. Is this ingenious thought of hers that Jane has a thing for Mr. Dixon? I mean, it it becomes clear later, but is that what she's saying here?
1: Do you want me to confirm or deny?
0: I think that's what she's saying. Well, there's two things that, that are... Coming to light here with this thought. She's thinking, I wonder why she didn't go to Ireland if she wanted to go to Ireland so bad. And she's thinking, Mr. Dixon was telling her all about Ballycraig, blah, 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 blah. I bet she has a thing for him. And one, she's trying to like do her whole drama thing in her head. And two, Mr. Frank Churchill chose to not come home as opposed to like staying where he was. And Jane Fairfax chose to come home instead of staying with, like, her guardian family. So it's just interesting.
1: It is. Uh, do you want me to tell you what Jay, uh, Emma's thinking here? Yeah. Yeah, Emma's thinking that there's something seedy going on between Mr. Dixon and Jane Fairfax. Okay. Maybe not even seedy, but that there's drama afoot. That something is afoot. There's definitely drama afoot. And
0: that definitely becomes later. And this is the the first seedling planted, at least in Emma's mind of it. That was uh, just wanted to draw attention to that. So then we learn that Mr. and Mrs. Dixon both really wanted Jane to come to Ireland, in particular, Mr. Dixon. And there was one time where he saved Jane's life because they were on a boat and she was about to fall off and he grabbed her habit, at which point I wanted to know, is she a nun? No, I think like her little bonnet.
1: Situation. Okay, so it's not a nun's habit. No, no. She's just like Just falling off a boat. Yeah. Well, I think she was falling off like like it's possible she was falling off like a cliff's edge or something, but she was toppling somewhere into the sea, and he like caught her. Yes. Very romantic. Very, very gallant.
0: Very gallant. Mm. Now Emma thinks that the Dixons will be disappointed, and she notes then that Mrs. Dixon is not as pretty as Jane. Which I wanted
1: to know is a random thing to say in this moment. Yeah, they actually talk about that later too. Jane Austen says something about this later, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, But yeah, it's like noted that Miss Campbell, while she's very close, or Mrs. Dixon, I should say, while she's very close to Jane. Jane is like stunningly beautiful. And Miss Campbell's just kind of nice looking. Yes, that's exactly what they say. Yeah. I mean, she's not terrible, but like she's... Like Jane is like a knockout, like a life ruining beauty. Yeah. So But Miss Dixon
0: is elegant and kind. Yeah. Mrs. Dixon has her has her stuff. Yes. Miss Bates then says as I'm going to read to you, which at this point, she has essentially read the entire letter. And every time she's like, as you'll see when I read to you, it's like she already knows what the letter says. It's like us at the beginning of every episode of this podcast. (laughs) Yes, it's exactly like that. We're like, we're like, oh, my God. But can you believe this one thing that happened? Wait, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Exactly. She says Jane caught a cold in early November and she hasn't gotten well yet. So they were thinking that the air at home would do her some good. Plus, it'll be better for her to be with her family. They can nurse her back to health. Then Miss Bates tells her all about how she received the letter and accidentally exclaimed out loud, oh, Jane is ill. And she scared her mother, but it wasn't as bad as they thought. But if she doesn't get well soon, they're going to call in Mr. Perry. At this point, she says she's sure that Mr. Perry will not try to charge them because he is so kind and fond of Jane. But they know that he has a family to take care of and they're not going to think twice about the expense. And I think that now would be a really good time for Emma to be like, can I help you with that? Like give to the poor,
1: et cetera. But they're like genteel poor. So the charity is tough. The charity is tough. They already get so much charity from people.
0: And they hang out at her house. She's like, that's enough.
1: Yeah, well, Emma is particularly ungenerous to the Bateses compared to others in the town, as mm-hmm. she says. There's a great point where she says she doesn't visit enough, and she's chided by both Mister Knightley and sometimes herself for that. Yeah, she she's like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you can hear Mister Knightley being like, "You don't visit enough," and she's like, "Shut up, they suck." And then, like to herself, she's like, "I oh, don't visit enough." Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes. Actually, these two chapters are pretty self-aware for Emma for those types of things, um, which we'll get into in the next chapter. We'll get into it. Yeah. I mean, Emma's self-awareness has its places and then has its limits. Yes, of course. Circumstances. So Miss Bates is about to read the letter and then Emma's like, ah, we got to go. And she's happy at this point that even though She heard most of the letter by experiencing the conversation. She did not have to sit through the reading of the letter itself. She did not. And that's the end of that chapter. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to move on to chapter two. Hello, it's Molly from the future, hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. Jane Fairfax's backstory. Yes. Jane Fairfax is an orphan. She was the only daughter of Mrs. Bates's youngest daughter, which means that Miss Bates is her aunt and that her mom is dead. So we learn that Miss Jane Bates had married a Lieutenant Fairfax and he died in the war and she died of grief and consumption shortly after.
1: Little quirk here. Which war do we think it is? Oh. Because I think it might be the Revolutionary War. This is 18 whatever. Let's see what year Emma was published. 1815. So Jane Fairfax is at 21. Mm -hmm. And she was three when her mom died. And younger when her dad died. So wouldn't be the Revolutionary War, would it? You're asking the wrong person, Miss History Major. Hey, listeners, if you remember exact dates as to what war Jane Fairfax's dad died in, let me know. We we do theater. I also have a history major, so I should know this, but I can't like precisely match up when Jane Austen wrote this book to what war would have been being fought. Not that like, the UK was using its army in a lot of different ways at that time, so...
0: (laughs) Right. Well, also, we don't know what year Jane Austen intended this to take place, so... Exactly. Anyway, I'm sure there are people, scholars in our audience, who have done research on this and will let us know. So, I also wanted to note that we have another character named after her mother, Jane, named for Jane. So, after her parents died... Three year old Jane is left with her grandmother and her aunt, and it seemed that she was going to stay there forever with her poor connections, her, you know, lack of wealth, lack of upward mobility, just having her nice little life with her very well meaning relatives. But there's a friend of her father's, Colonel Campbell, and he was very fond of her dad and owed him a debt for saving his life in the war. So, he takes little Jane under his wing. She stays a regular guest with them until she's nine and then he takes full charge of her education and she moves in with them permanently. He plans to train her as a teacher in the instruction of others so that she can gain her own independence and, uh, you know, live her own life because he can't offer her any inheritance. And she has a good life with the Campbells. She gets the best education she could possibly have. And at 18 or 19, she's already ready to become a teacher, but she was too beloved to be parted with. So she stays with them. Am I right in assuming that they're talking about
1: being a teacher? Specifically being a governess. A governess. Okay. Yeah. In the instruction of others. Somewhat like our good gal, Mrs. Weston. Right, because she would be moving out and moving in with another family. Yes, she would be a governess to high-ranking children. Okay, so
0: she stays with them a little longer. She does all of the society things that a 19-year-old does with Miss Campbell, and she is actually superior to Miss Campbell in both beauty and acquirements, as we have discussed. She is hot and talented and perfect, And so it surprises everyone when Miss Campbell gets married first to a very rich and very agreeable young man named Mr. Dixon.
1: There's a great description of that in the book, though, of what happens there. Do you want to read it? That nature had given it in feature could not be unseen by the young woman, nor could her higher powers of mind be unfelt by the parents. They continued together with unbated regard, however, till the marriage of Miss Campbell, who, by that chance, that luck which so often defies anticipation in matrimonial affairs, giving attraction to what is moderate rather than what is superior, engaged the affections of Mr. Dixon, a young man, rich and agreeable, almost as soon as they were acquainted, and was happily and eligibly settled while Jane Fairfax had yet her bread to earn. So, like, they're saying that often in matrimony,
0: a guy will fall for someone...
1: Mediocre.
0: Mediocre. Because of love.
1: Yeah. Or because of, in this case, I mean... Money. Money. Economics of dating Jane Austen. I mean, you could read that a couple ways. It's that. There's also just like this thing sometimes where people you think are unremarkable are just beloved by everyone around you. Like Miss Bates? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Okay. <laughs> no. I mean, have you ever met someone who's like, you think is just kind of fine, but everyone else is obsessed with them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what Jane Austen's getting at. I see. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of Miss Campbell. I mean, what we learn from the story is that part of the reason Colonel Campbell takes in Jane full time is because Miss Campbell loved her. Yeah. They're best friends. Yeah. She was basically like, hey, can you take her in? Like, she's awesome. And I want to be with her all the time. And her dad was like, yeah. that." Gay. I, was- <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of gay vibes hanging, hanging around Jane Fairfax in these chapters. I
0: was going to say- There are a couple moments where I was like,
1: is it gay? I mean, you could go at it a lot of angles, like Emma and Miss Fairfax, Mrs. Dixon and Miss Fairfax. That's a big one for me. We ship.
0: We ship. So this marriage between Miss Campbell and Mr. Dixon happened very recently. So Jane has not yet started on her path of duty, but she's 21 now and she has decided it is time to, quote, retire from all the pleasures of life, of natural intercourse, equal society, peace and hope, dependence and mortification forever. Is she becoming a nun?
1: No. Okay. She's becoming a governess. That's so dramatic. Well, here's what's happened to Jane Fairfax, and it's relevant to our conversations about a Miss Smith. Jane is a woman of dire circumstance for a lot of reasons, and she happens to be beautiful and elegant and smart and talented, and that meant the Campbells just adored her so much that they did not want to give her over to the life of being a governess, something which she would have started doing a long time ago if she had not been compelled by the Campbells to stay with them. So instead of starting her career and starting to make money for her aunt and her grandma, she is instead gallivanting around high society and cosplaying as a debutante, basically. I mean, she's an accomplished young woman who could be eligible because of her beauty and because of her talents. But predominantly her job is to go out there and make money. And she should have done that a few years ago. And now she's got to go out of high society, which is what she's gotten used to Mm. and into sort of the ranks of the help.
0: Like what Harriet is going to get used to
1: if she's not careful. Exactly. So like there's some parallels there in that people cosplaying as high class when they're really of a slightly lower class. Now governesses are a higher class version of the help think again miss taylor was the constant companion to emma Mm -hmm. and then married mr weston but they are nonetheless paid to be there and they are not they have a job essentially in that low class way women are not supposed to have jobs i'm really glad that we've cleared this up because i did think because they
0: were being so dramatic about her going and like giving up her her life that i really thought she was had given up on being a governess and was going to go be a nun and go live in an abbey.
1: Yeah. No, what we have here is someone with like crazy student debt after college, whose best friend is a trust fund baby gallivanting around Europe and keeps being like, hey, join me. Keep gallivanting across Europe with me. I'll bankroll you, but you have to pay down your loans. So essentially they're saying it's time for her to wrap it up and go find a full time job. Got it.
0: So The Campbells selfishly want her to stay with them, but they are like, it's probably for the best that she, like you said, goes to find a full time job, goes home instead of coming with us to Ireland and getting another taste of like the good life. So they're like, go back to your aunt and your grandma. Now, she hasn't been well since their daughter's marriage. Is this that cold they were talking about? Is she sad that Her best friend got married. Is her best friend her lover? Or alternatively, (laughs) and probably more likely, is she sad that Mr. Dixon got married? And is she depressed about that? Don't know. Who's to say? Whom, Stephen. Yeah, Oomst if you will. There's a note that says she did not lie in her letter, but she might not have told the whole truth about why she's not going to Ireland. (laughs) My notes are ridiculous now that I know she's not a nun. (laughs) I was like... Did they not know about the nun thing? (laughs) What truth is she not telling them? That's a great question. What truth is Jane not telling them? She in love with Mr. Dixon, probably. We'll find out, I guess. In any event, Highbury is going to have to deal with having Jane Fairfax instead of Frank Churchill for a couple months. And Emma is sorry about this because she hates Jane Fairfax and she cannot explain why
1: the bitchcracker syndrome on our girl Emma with Jane Fairfax. The return of
0: the bitchcracker syndrome in like tenfold because she even says like, I don't have any better excuse, but I don't like her.
1: And Knightley is like, you have literally no reason not to like her.
0: Knightley thinks that Emma is jealous of Jane because she sees in Jane the accomplished young woman that Emma wishes everyone would see in
1: herself. Emma's like, Maybe. I don't have a study question on this, but the gall of Mr. Knightley to be like, you unfairly hate someone.
0: Yeah, it's Knightley. He's the angstiest boy. Well, no, we just had like an entire argument where he just shat. He on hates a man he's- Frank yeah. <laughs> Well, That took me a minute to get there. I was like, yeah, he's grumpy.
1: Which if I'm being fair to Knightley, like he has more grounds that Emma has here, but I'm also kind of like, yeah, have never met him.
0: Yeah, barely. He has barely any more grounds. Exactly. That's funny. So
1: they're like the two saltiest people on earth that just call each other out for being salty
0: all the time. They're like sitting in a room and he's venting about this guy that he hates. And Emma's like, yeah, and I hate this girl. And he's like, you don't even know her. <laughs> no. oh, I didn't Fucking even think disasters. Of that. They are disasters. <laughs> Emma claims that she just can't get acquainted with Jane because Jane is cold and reserved and doesn't seem to care if she pleases Emma or not, which Emma does not like. She likes people to want to please her. And she thinks also her aunt is really annoying. And everyone also thinks that Emma and Jane should be friends. And just because of that, she doesn't want to be. Emma's aware that she's not really justified in hating Jane And she is also aware that it's possible in the last two years, her dislike has been blown out of proportion in her mind. But when she sees Jane, she sees that she is in fact very elegant and very beautiful and very perfect. And there is a long
1: paragraph where Emma is like, damn. What I love about that paragraph is that it's specifically describing her body.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, she's tall, but not too tall.
1: And look at those curves. And oh my God, her skin. She's like. She's curvy, but like in a trim way, like it's hot. It's very thirsty. (laughs) But what we do have confirmed as canon is that Jane Fairfax must have like a bit of an ass. Yes, she's got got ass, she's got thighs, she's got boobs. Actually, in this time period, my guess is that she got them titties because those empire waist dresses are all about the boobs.
0: Yeah, the little square cut out and the boobs just like spilling over a little
1: bit. Yeah, yeah. As a woman who's, you know, Buxom. wears a large cup size. I, I am buxom for our listeners who may not have seen many pictures of me. I have big boobs. Um, <laughs> like I look at those dresses and I'm like, yeah, that's just a situation that's just meant to highlight big boobs.
0: Yeah, it really is. And to make small boobs look big. Kira Knightley,
1: case in point. So does she even wear them in that in that movie? Empire waist dresses? Yeah. Do they wear them? Um, They kind of do. Um, This goes back to our conversation about the Revolutionary War. The conceit of that movie is kind of putting Pride and Prejudice in um, The time that Jane Austen wrote it, which would have been the like late 1790s. Right. So it's like a couple of years before Pride and Prejudice is usually set, which is when it was actually published. Mm -hmm. So that movie, the costuming is like a little different than it would be otherwise. Plus, and I cannot stress this enough, the... 2000s of it all
0: right i think when i was thinking of the big boobs and the empire waist dresses i was actually thinking of jennifer Jennifer Ely, those boobs
1: <laughs> molly got gay really quick i'm blushing <laughs> anyway whew, gosh <clears throat> very very chaste content here describing Jane Fairfax's bod.
0: Yeah. So she describes Jane's bod for a while. And I wanted to note that I think Emma is aware of this and us as the reader, we are aware of it, that Emma's dislike of Jane is another fantasy similar to her liking Frank Churchill. She just likes to blow things up in her mind and like write stories for people.
1: The slight difference here is that Emma has met Jane Fairfax
0: many times. Yes, but in the time that she hasn't been there, she's like, God, I hate
1: her. Yeah, she just goes over every piece in her head and she's like, you know what? That piece of shit, Jane Fairfax.
0: She's not even that hot. And then in front of her, she's like,
1: oh my God. Definitely hot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so she's determined because she is so hot to not dislike Jane any longer. In fact, she feels compassion and respect for Jane for her whole history and all of her... (sighs) I'm reading through my notes and I just every five words I was like none. Um, (laughs) She's feeling compassion for Jane because of her history and how she's going to lose everything she's gained in society because she's going to have to go and be I guess a governess and not a nun. (laughs) Plus she's very interested in the quote highly probable circumstance of an attachment to Mr. Dixon. Now I wanted to note that I think this is a highly probable circumstance, as she says. But also, I think it's a stretch. Like, I want it to be true, but I also think that it might be a bit of a red herring that uh, Jane Austen's throwing at us, being like, oh, yes, Jane Fairfax and Mr. Dixon. But really, I think something else is going on. I think Emma is deceived. So we'll see. Something is afoot. Something is afoot. Emma believes that Jane is in love with Mr. Dixon and that it's one-sided. She's pining and that she's denying herself a trip to Ireland out of the purest possible motives. She doesn't want to be a home wrecker. Emma leaves Jane thinking that she wishes there was some young man that she could set her up with. Here Emma goes again. However, this feeling does not last because before she can publicly announce that she is now friends with Jane... Aside from, I wanted to note, telling Mr. Knightley that she thinks that, in fact, Jane is quite handsome. Again, pretty gay, <laughs> pretty gay. Uh, Jane comes and spends an evening at Hartfield with her grandmother and aunt, and Emma once again is annoyed by the entire family. It's not Jane's
1: fault that the Bateses are annoying, though, right? No, not at all. And one thing you might be able to glean from this, Emma keeps using words like cold. Sour, reserved. Do you think she's frustrated that her aunt is so annoying? Somewhat, but also Jane is shy. Oh, she's shy. Like she's quiet, right?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe Emma's just not used to people being shy. I mean, Harriet's shy, but more in a <laughs> way. Harriet's not exactly shy. Harriet's
1: just a yes woman. Yeah, she's young. Harriet's young. Jane is shy. That makes sense. Jane's just quiet and it's one of those things where like I and I get it from Emma's perspective. We talk a lot. We have a podcast Mm -hmm. like we talk a lot. And when you're a woman who's like very outspoken, very loud, very like all over the place, there's like an envy you have for women who can just like hold it together and look so reserved and like cool in the corner. And it's like Emma's very loud and she just like makes the whole party about her all the time. Jane is not. Jane is reserved.
0: And yet everyone loves her. So Emma's like, how is she doing that? She's just
1: being there. And it's she's gorgeous and she's good at everything. And she's quiet and polite. And her family is ridiculous. And she keeps a straight face.
0: So true. Yeah, I get it. I get it.
1: Yeah. Fuck Jane
0: Fairfax. (laughs) I don't think there's any reason to not like Jane Fairfax, but I get why Emma doesn't. So, yeah, she's good at everything. Emma's like, I'm playing the piano. Jane is like, oh, that was so good. And then she goes to play the piano better than Emma. And Emma's like, fuck you. So the, the party is generally not good for Emma's perception of Jane. She tries to get Jane to talk about Mr. Dixon to no avail. And Emma takes this quietness on the subject of Mr. Dixon to mean that she is hiding something. She thinks it's possible that Mr. Dixon was about to leave Mrs. Dixon for Jane, but is
1: staying with her for her money, which would be the drama. Absolutely the drama. Also keep in mind that Jane Fairfax and Mrs. Dixon are besties.
0: Besties. So that would be triple the drama. Additionally, Emma tries to get Jane to talk about Frank Churchill, who was at Weymouth at the same time as her, but she won't say anything other than he has good manners and everyone who knows him likes him. And I don't know what to think, because when I was reading this, I hadn't quite caught on that she's shy yet. Uh, So I was like, she's not saying anything about Mr. Dixon. Is she in love with him? And then I was like, she's not saying anything about Frank Churchill. Is she in love with him? And then I was like, you big slut. Good for you. Or is she gay? Or is she gay and in love with Mrs. Dixon? Or is she into Emma? She could be into Emma. I mean, the whole book is very gay. There's a lot of women loving each other. So I wouldn't be surprised if she has a thing for Emma either. But mostly, I think that she is potentially having a thing with any of these men or maybe none of them. And she is just quiet. Who's to say? Whoomst,
1: if you will. Hoomst? Well, before we go to the study questions, I want to read... The last line of this chapter. Please do. Emma could not forgive her.
0: <laughs> yes, I did laugh at that. Why can't she forgive her? Because she's not gossiping with her.
1: Not only that, there's another
0: piece of that. Because she wants to know more about Frank Churchill. Because Jane's met
1: Frank Churchill.
0: Yes, she's met Frank Churchill, and Emma has not. She beat her to that,
1: too. Fuck Jane. <laughs> just kidding i love her wow okay okay so that brings us to becca's study questions so starting with where we started these chapters who are the bateses in the story
0: they're kind of the comedic relief kind of something to show who emma is in like in society like she looks down on them just enough to show like she, she's looking down her nose on people who are actually like really good people just because of how they live and who they
1: are. What else? That's all correct. Adding another element to it, Mrs. Bates is a widow. These are not the true poor. These are the genteel poor. Oh, so they were left by a rich man? A rich man died? Once again, we have an example of a man dying who has unmarried daughters and them being destitute because there's no son. So where did all of his money go? To the next male heir. So even if there is no male heir? Well, remember, Mr. Collins was the Bennett's male heir.
0: So there's probably a cousin somewhere who made off with all their money. Yep. Do we know who it is?
1: No, and also I don't think that the Bateses were like as rich as the Dashwoods or the Bennett's. Like, I don't think the father had his own estate but i think he was like clergy level Mm -hmm. and now they have nothing right so they rely on the kindness of their community almost in entirety right so once again they are worst case scenario and then to make matters worse one daughter did marry and then she died and he died not only that he also didn't have a lot of money love connection doesn't bode well for love in this story huh not so far. But uh, that is where we come out with Jane Fairfax. That's how she comes into this world. She is also an orphan, as we learned at the beginning of the story. We now have three children of Highbury who have lost parents at a young age, and it has affected their three lives in very different ways. Mm-hmm. We have Emma, who lost her mother when she was very young. Her father's very wealthy. And all it meant is that she did not have anyone who was her intellectual equal growing up, and she grew up a spoiled brat. You know, Frank Churchill, whose mother died and his fa- left his father destitute, who was raised by an aunt and uncle, and kept away from his home. Mm-hmm. And then you have Jane Fairfax, whose both parents died and has well-meaning relatives but relies on the kindness of her father's friends for food and shelter. Yeah. And so you have these three children going down very different paths in life based on sort of the circumstances of their birth and who died when. Right. Any comments on that?
0: I mean, we talk about it a lot in the other books about like what would happen if this parent died or what would happen if if this situation happened. And we've kind of got all of the different options here. So it's just interesting to see them play out. And I'm also intrigued as to how all three of these people who are kind of similar in age will interact with each other. How will this fudge? How will this fudge? Why does Miss Bates talk so much? I don't know. I mean, it seems almost like a Mrs. Jennings level of talkativeness, but I think because she's so endearing, I think that she she does that to make up for her situation. Like she can't offer people a big comfy place to stay but she loves to have people over and you know give them the talk of the town and she tells people most of what she says is about Jane so like she is so proud of her niece who got out there and is doing the thing and is like in society which is something she could never have and she just wants to like
1: share that i guess yeah i think that's all correct and i also think there's a way in which there's a there's a discomfort in uh the amount of charity she has to accept And that that level of gratitude, she feels like she has to keep conveying to everyone for hanging out with her all the time. Mm,
0: That makes a lot of sense also because when Emma says something like, oh, that'll be nice to have her here, like she takes that as a compliment. She's like, oh, my God, thank you. But she must be just like she feels like she has to thank people for everything.
1: Like the kindness that Miss Woodhouse is showing her when Miss Woodhouse does not have to stop by at all. Right. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. It's really sad. Really sad. I know we were mean to Miss Bates in this episode, but I feel for her.
0: Yeah, no, I like her. I just, she's annoying, but I get it. I, I do. Yes.
1: So we've learned a lot about Jane here. What does she tell us about class in this story? Well, for her, like you said,
0: she has gotten used to a level of class that is not actually attainable for her. She's been, you know, training to be a governess her whole life. And because she is so well loved by the family she is living with, they are like, stay with us, keep hanging out, keep experiencing rich people life. But she knows that she has to go back at some point to the life that's going to provide her stability and like a living if she doesn't marry super well, um, which she probably won't because she has nothing to offer. So she's kind of resigned to her fate. And Resigned to the class that she
1: was uh, left to when her family died. That's all accurate. And I would also just add to that that Jane can do something that is a little different than some of the other characters in this story. She's a bit more of a chameleon of class than some of these other characters. Mm -hmm. Because she's learned. She's learned from the bosom of high class. She's like what Harriet wishes she was. She's what... Emma wishes Harriet was. Yes, 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 yes. So she has the education to transcend her circumstances somewhat. And she's stunning. Mm -hmm. And she's kind and accomplished and all this and that. So despite the fact that she is trapped, as we've talked about, and the fact that she's gotten this taste for high society and might have to pull back from it into a governess role, there's a reason why someone like Mr. Knightley thinks that she's such an appropriate companion for Emma. And they are kind of two. One is nature. One is nurture. One is that she's not a person born of questionable circumstance who's, you know, Mr. Knightley saw suit to marry a farmer. Mm -hmm. She's a woman who at one point was part of a high class family, not a high class family, but a, a reasonably classed family that fell from grace because of bad circumstances. Mm hmm. And therefore, there's a way in which her bloodline is inherently not tainted.
0: The Bateses being the people who fell from. Yes. Yes. And then her her mom, I mean, married a lieutenant, which
1: isn't so bad either. Yeah. She's not of questionable birth. Right. And then on top of that, nurture wise, she's gotten the all the trimmings of a of an upper class education. And she knows the signals. She knows the moves. She's classy. She's classy as fuck. So she can do a lot in society that someone like Harriet could not. Right. That's why everyone talks about her as this companion to Emma, who is lacking companions in her class rank because she can perform companionship in this class for Emma. Right. In a way that others can't. So she has a bit more mobility almost in her class than some of these other characters. So that's an interesting way to think about it. Totally. Let's talk about Mr. Dixon and let's talk about Emma's fantasies for Jane's romantic deal. I mean, if I were left
0: to my own devices, I would have come to the same conclusion, but I think that it's too obvious at this point. I think that this has to be a red herring. I believe it wholeheartedly, but I would think that if I believed it wholeheartedly, I would be wrong just because one, Jane. Well, I don't know. Maybe she's in love with Mr. Dixon and she doesn't want to go to Ireland because she doesn't want to hurt her friend and she doesn't want to hurt herself and she doesn't want to hurt Mr. Dixon. And she's like, this is the best thing is for me to just like disappear. That's totally plausible, but I just don't think that Jane Austen would outright say it so early on. Maybe she would. I don't know.
1: Who's to say? Whom, Stephen? And just going off that before we go to my one last question before the standbys, I think there's also uh, we're seeing Emma relapse a little already on the matchmaking. Totally. I mean, she has relapsed
0: times 10 every time she's like, I'm never going to do this thing again. She does it immediately. So
1: yeah, she's like, God, who could I set Jane Fairfax up with?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. What do you think of Jane Fairfax? At first I was like, ooh, she's a little saucy. Like, which man is she secretly dating? But, like, actually I think that you're right in that she's quiet and shy. I think that she's seems, like, earnest enough. I feel like I want to experience an interaction with her that isn't through Emma's eyes our unreliable
1: narrator Emma.
0: Yes, she is not reliable. She's like god, that was so annoying when she complimented my piano playing. Like, okay. Really? But also reading parts of it, I was like, what is she really getting at here? Why isn't she saying more on this? So, I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. She's got quite the backstory, and I do feel bad for her in that like she is now having to go back to being a governess, getting a job. She doesn't get to experience life the same way that her almost sister does. So I hope someone whisks her off her feet. I do.
1: What do you think of Emma?
0: She's so funny. I. Know, she's like, she knows that she's a hot mess. She's like messy. She's like God. Like I know I have no reason to hate this person, but it is so fun to hate her. She's just, she's funny.
1: Yeah. All right. Our relatable queen, our petty, relatable queen with their bitch cracker syndrome toward Miss Jane Fairfax. Bitch crackers to the max. Funniest quote?
0: I think I'm going to go with one I already read, but I think it was the funniest moment for me. So, Miss Bates has just said that Jane is coming to visit, and that's the only reason they heard from her. Otherwise, they wouldn't have heard from her before the next week. And Emma says, Yes, so I imagined. I was afraid there could be little chance of my hearing anything of Miss Fairfax today. She was afraid. So afraid. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. Questions moving forward. Who is Jane Fairfax? Who is she? Who is she going to fall in love with? Because I just have a feeling that she's going to fall in love with someone. Um, Does she know Mr. Elton? Does she really know Frank Churchill? Where's Harriet? Harriet. Yeah, let's leave it at that.
1: Who wins the chapters?
0: Gosh, I think it has to be. I I was going to give it to Jane Fairfax just for like intriguing me into, you know, getting to know her more, but I kind of want to give it to Mr. Knightley for being like, you have no right to hate on this girl when he literally did the same thing last chapter.
1: <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'll take it. I, I, you know, I never complain about Knightley winning anything. And also just like the gall that the absolute cojones on that man. I love him. Oh, boy. All right. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. For next time, please read chapters three and four of Volume the Second. Or if you don't have a volume book, then just read chapters 21 and 22. Molly, is that correct? We're good? Yes, that sounds good to me. All right. Well, then, until next time, stay proper. And don't fall in love with your
0: best friend's husband.
1: It's a bad idea.
0: Yeah. Who knows if that's even going to happen in this book, but don't do it. Who
1: knows? Oops. oops.
0: Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.